I'm telling you, give it up to our worship team today. Man, great job, great job. It is so good to see you today. Thanks for being in the house of God. Man, it is awesome checking you guys out today. A lot of guests in the room. I'm so thankful that you're here. Uh, Winston said we've got some free stuff for you at Guest Point. Don't forget that. But man, it's good to see a lot of guests today with us and, and a lot of young folks here today. And uh, I shout that out all the time. I don't know where y'all coming from, but man, keep coming. Just God is bringing so many young people uh, to our church and getting started out in life and raising your family. And man, it's just so good to see you all today. And uh, the things we're going to talk about, I tell you what, old guy like me, okay, it's good stuff. But man, when you're young, if you get this stuff right now, man, it'll just make your life so much better. So it's good to see you. And our overflow people continue to give shout out to our overflow crowd over in the gym so we can be here. Don't ever forget that they are sacrificing this room so they'll meet in the gym. And it's not too bad over there, man. They got it going too. Uh, but they do it so we can be here and we can keep growing. So thank you to our overflow people. They're watching this right now. You mean the world to us, what you're doing. And our online people just keeps growing all over uh, the country, and we're just so happy that God has caused something uh, to happen here. He really has. We didn't know one year ago, one year ago, this service is when we shut it down. We just shut it down like everybody else, and we were all in shock, and we had no idea what God had up his sleeve to happen at Eastside Christian Church. So uh, thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. You're a good God, and we are honored uh, to be in your house tonight to share in the Word of God. So you ready to study with me, huh? Ready to jump into this? All right, let's do this today. Now, about six years ago, the uh, largest church in America, incredible church. You ever get down there, you ought to visit it, a North Point Community Church right there in Atlanta. They got campuses all over under the direction of their lead pastor, probably one of the best communicators of God on the planet by the name of Andy Stanley. About six years ago, they developed a teaching series called The Bad Boys of Easter. And the gist of that series, kind of the, the core of what that was about, just kind of started to catch on. And there were churches all over our country who began to, to take that and kind of build their own uh, concepts about it and to teach that. And I have been wanting to do that for ever since it came out. I, I studied it, found out it was about, I said, man, I want us to do that east side. And it just never fit in our schedule until this year. And so I have just been so looking forward to these weeks when we're going to ramp up to Easter and we're going to study together this thing called the Bad Boys of Easter. And what it does is it takes some of the kind of the more um, unfavorable characters of the Easter story and it just kind of brings them to light and we tell the story about these really bad boys and the goal of every message, we'll do this for three weeks, the goal of every message will always be the same, and that is to ask the question, am I one of those bad boys? Am I one of those bad girls? Because the, the thing that you'll find out as we go through this study is that every one of us 
have the potential to be like them. Everybody does. And the the best part of the study is to learn their stories and to say, man, that is not going to happen to me. And so the goal of this whole idea is to dive into the Easter story and learn some really bad boys there. And we're going to avoid those things. Did you ever run across the story um, published a lot of different times in a lot of different places about what happened a number of years ago in a middle school in Beaverton, Oregon, Beaverton Middle School. And what was going on in the school is the, the young girls in the sixth and seventh grade, they were starting to get to the age where they're starting to put makeup on and kind of doll themselves up a little bit. And somehow they got into the, the, the pattern of going into the girls' restroom and they'd put their makeup on to kind of doll themselves up for the boys. And when they put their lipstick on their lips, they would go up to the big mirror and they would imprint their lips on the mirror and then they leave. You get all these lip prints all over over the mirror. And, and the principal got word of it, and he's telling the girls, you can't do that. I don't want you to do it. And they just kept doing it because they're bad girls. And finally, he just couldn't take it anymore. And he corralled all the girls and crammed them into that restroom, Beaverton, Oregon, Beaverton Middle School. And he said, girls, I've told you not to do that. And the reason I've told you not to do it is because it's incredibly hard to get that lipstick off the mirror. And I brought our janitor here, Mr. Johnson or whoever, and I want him to show you how doggone hard it is to get that off the mirror. That's why I don't want you to do it. And so the janitor had this great big mop, and he took this mop and he went over to one of the toilets, and he squished the mop in the toilet, and then he went up on the mirror, and he cleaned the mirror off, and they didn't have any more lip prints at Beaverton Middle School in the girls' restroom. See, see, the, the benefit of that whole idea is that instead of correcting being a bad boy or bad girl, if you are, the, the best thing is to prevent it. To say, I'm, I'm not even going to get into that. I'm not, not even going to begin that. And that's going to be the benefit over the next three weeks as we dive into this study. How can we not be these people? Well, the first bad boy that we look at is a guy named Caiaphas. And if you've ever read the Easter story, you've come across in the Bible, somewhere along the line, this kind of weird name, Caiaphas. And before we find out why he was a bad guy and why we don't want to follow that, it's important that we know exactly who Caiaphas was. And so I kind of thought about, how can I really bring to light so that you know exactly who he is and exactly his position and you understand it. So I wanna kinda show you a little bit, you're gonna feel like you're in government class, but just kinda hang with me a little bit. If you took the United States and understood what our branches of government were. Now you all learned this in school, half of you were sleeping during it, but what we have three branches in the United States government. We got the legislative branch, which is our Congress, our representative, our senators. We have the executive branch, which is our president, and we have the judicial branch, and that's our Supreme Court. And you know there's layers underneath all those and all different things, but generally it's these three branches. Do you hear God showing some rain on us, huh? Now, watch this. Watch this. In the Jewish religion, 
in the first century, their political system was a little bit like this one. And so I want you to see how they broke it up in Israel, in the Jewish political structure. They also had three kind of branches. They had what was called the Sanhedrin. And I want you to hear this about Sanhedrin. They were about 70 guys and they ran the joint. That's where the power was. Nothing happened until the Sanhedrin said it could happen. And so this is a very, very powerful force in, in Jewish political structure in the first century. Then they also had two other branches, and they were almost like political parties. They were called the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And when you read your New Testament, you come across those things all the time. Sanhedrin, Sadducees, Pharisees, and you probably have wondered, what in the world are those things? Well, the Sadducees and Pharisees were like political parties. And just like Democrats and Republicans, they kind of had different viewpoints and different strategies of way, way things that ought to be done, different opinions that they had. For example, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe it. So they were sad, you see. Huh? Huh? Now the Pharisees, the Pharisees did believe in the resurrection, so they were, say it with me, fair, you see. Don't laugh, that's how I got that question right in Bible college, okay? But they had different viewpoints of that. Now here's what I want you to see. The president of the Sanhedrin, the leader of the Sanhedrin was known, his position was the high priest. And so the Sanhedrin runs the show. Nothing happens without the Sanhedrin. And the leader of the Sanhedrin is the high priest, the highest position in all of the Jewish community, the top guy. Now, the reason it's important to hear this is because in the adult years of Jesus, while he was an adult, and definitely when he was crucified and died and resurrected, you're gonna see that in a few minutes, the high priest was a guy by the name of Caiaphas. And so Caiaphas was the most important man in the whole land of Israel. He was the top guy. Because of that, he had incredible influence. He was unbelievably wealthy. The guy was living the life. And we look at Caiaphas tonight, and we say that Caiaphas was a guy who really turned bad. He really turned bad. And you might say, well, what was the bad thing about him? Well, the bad thing about Caiaphas, the most powerful person in the land, comes down to one thing. He killed Jesus. He killed Jesus. And so if you ever run across his name in the Bible, you ever hear anybody say anything about Caiaphas? Say, that's the guy. That's the guy that killed Jesus. Now, in order to understand why that's important, and I'm trying to talk as loud as I can over the rain, so hang with me. In order to understand why that is so important that Caiaphas killed Jesus, you have to know how they killed him. What was the process in putting this guy to death? And it's very simple. It's important that every Christian understands this. We're gonna get the end of the good stuff here in a minute, but you gotta understand this. And so there was a process in which Jesus was put to death. And I want you to look it up here. The crucifixion of Jesus 
took two things to happen. The Jewish authorities were part of it, and the Roman authorities were part of it. And the Jewish authorities could recommend that a criminal was put to death, but they couldn't put him to death. They had no right and authority to put him to death because they lived in the Roman Empire. They were under the Roman Empire. All that the Jews could do was recommend somebody to be died, and they would send them to the Romans, and the Romans would execute. Now, if you've ever read the New Testament, you know that the key people involved in both of this was Caiaphas on behalf of the Jews and Pilate on behalf of the Romans. Jesus never, ever would have died were it not for Caiaphas. That none of that would have ever happened to him until the first step, Caiaphas, the high priest, the leader of the Sanhedrin, the most powerful Jew in the world, said, I send him to be killed. Now, if you ask that question, you ask this question, you, you, you end up with this. How does anybody get that bad? How does anybody get to the point where you recommend that the Son of God, the Savior of the world, is murdered? How do you get that bad? Have you ever seen somebody, maybe somebody you even know, but maybe hear a story in the news somewhere about somebody who did some kind of unbelievable thing, and you sit back and you wonder, how do you get to that point? How do you arrive where you decide to kill the Savior of the world? And remember this, this is very important to know, that, that Caiaphas was a Jew, he lived in a world that recognized God, that loved God. His country were the people of God, that Caiaphas believed in God. And how does a person who has a degree of spirituality about them, how do they ever stoop that low? Here's why it's important for us. Here's why it's a very important study for you and I. is because I ask myself, could I ever stoop that low? Could I ever fall in my walk with God so that I'm opposing him when I used to support him? Could what happened to Caiaphas ever happen to me? In a heartbeat it could. And so it causes me to grab my Bible and to say, is there anything in there that shows me what happened to this guy? Because, dude, I don't want that happening to me. And then I find this place. It comes right after that crazy story where Jesus rose Lazarus. Remember the guy's been dead for four days, Jesus shows up, Lazarus is raised from the tomb, and then right after that, we've got this story, and it's the first time that Caiaphas is seen on the scene. And you look at the story, and you start to see some subtle hints of what happened to this guy. 
And I just want to kind of play with them a little bit with you. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with them. I just kind of want to say, this happened to him. Make sure that that doesn't happen to you because I call them fatal faith mistakes. Because if these grab you by your neck and they happen to you, fatality of your faith is the end of that game. So let me show them to you just so you see. One of those is this. That what Caiaphas found himself doing was ignoring God's work in his life. And so it's very important that you don't ignore God's work in your life. John chapter 11, Jesus raises Lazarus, and then we got this story where these guys show up on the scene with Caiaphas and all of his people, and it is impossible to understand how big of an event this was. A guy who'd been dead for four days comes to life. Now, I know funerals are sad, I get all that, but I have seen as a pastor some crazy things happen at funerals that you walk out and just shake your head. Have I ever told you, I don't know if I've ever told you, your preacher got kicked out of a funeral home one time. I got kicked out of the funeral home. You're probably really gonna be proud of that, okay? There was a lady who was incredibly generous to our church. Wasn't this church, another church I served. She was very, very generous to our church. And her daughter, her adult daughter, did not like it at all. And so this elderly lady was a godly person. I mean, she was just crazy generous. And uh, she eventually dies and her daughter is not happy with us. She does not like us. And I show up at the funeral home to pay my respects to this sweet, godly lady. And I'm up there at the casket, paying my respect, and the funeral director comes over, who's a buddy of mine, and he says, hey, Dave, the daughter wants you out of here. And I said, well, okay, man, I get that. I'll just, give me a minute, I'll pay respects. He said, no, you ain't listening to me, dude. She's watching us. And if you don't walk out of here, she told me I have to call the police. And so I got kicked out of a funeral home. Which, by the way, if you want to donate a large amount of money to our ministry, I promise I'll stay away from your funeral. We'll just make a deal about that. I remember telling you one time about my aunt when she died. Um, she came from, a, just, they're just crazy people, man. They're so fun. Everything about them is just a party. And uh, we had her funeral. They asked me to pre preach at it. And we had a great funeral and everything. And we left, the, uh, we left the celebration of her life from the funeral home. And we drove to the cemetery. It was a beautiful summer day. We got out of the cemetery. Y'all been there. Everybody gets there ready. And the funeral director comes up and whispers, dude, we got a problem. What's the problem? He goes, I locked the keys in the hearse. I can't get the casket out. I said, are you serious? He goes, I can't get the casket out. So I had to announce that, tell everybody, you know, we're just going to sit around and wait on Papa Lock to show up. And the daughters are knocking on the door going, open the door, Bob, open the door. I mean, funerals, I've been to all kinds of crazy ones. But can you imagine this? Four days. And Lazarus is up walking. And you're going, what? There's, there's a statement in the Bible after that. I think it's one of the funniest statements in the Bible. It says this. There's all kinds of people at the, the funeral, man. There's all kinds of people there. Lazarus up there bopping around. And the Bible said, and many of them started to believe in Jesus. Oh, you think so? Huh? Man, I am believing now. Are you? 
But then there's this statement here that blows my mind. Look at it in John eleven forty six. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Because they knew that if this got out and everybody started following Jesus, what was going to happen to the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees is that they were going to lose their following. And so it is amazing to me that we got some people here at the funeral of Lazarus who did not see the mighty works of God around them. Now this is a subtle thing that is very important for people today who desire to live for God. And you've got some of that in you, you wouldn't be here tonight. There's some degree of connection that you have to our Heavenly Father and His Son Jesus. And if you wanna maintain that, you want that to be your story for the rest of your life, that you don't wanna slip back like we're looking at what happened to Caiaphas today. Here's one of the subtle things to remember is never ignore the work of God going around in your life. Never write it off, never fail to see the mighty things that God is doing in your life. Never fail to do that. Because when you fail to, to see the work of God's hands around you, when you fail to give him credit, when you fail to praise him for doing things that you could never do, when you fail to do that, your relationship with him starts to be hampered and you start to become a bad boy of the faith, a bad girl of the faith. Last Thursday in this room, we had a great night. And, um, and then when church was over with, we all kind of, you know, kind of went our way. And, and for those of us who work here, um, Thursday night after our night services, our week is done, so we're, we're done on Friday and Saturday and get to spend with our family and things like that. And, and so we kind of wrapped things up. I went in my office and I got all my stuff together and got ready to go home and I took it all to my car. And uh, it's probably about 8.30, quarter nine. And I thought, man, tonight was so awesome that I'm gonna do a prayer circle. I'm gonna walk one prayer circle. I'm just thanking, I'm gonna thank God for everything he's doing, everything I'm seeing him doing. And so I take a, a, a walk around, and it's dark. And there's two, three, four, five people out there doing the same thing, and I'm, I'm just walking around, and I'm thanking God for everything he did. And I got around to my car, and, and I wasn't done yet. There was more things that I knew he was doing. And so I, I walked again, and I'm just, the whole time, I'm just thanking God. Thank God for what you're doing. You're doing this, you're doing that. And I got around the second time, I wasn't done yet. And I just kept walking. I, I did another lap. I got done with the third lap. And, and I'm, I'm almost 61, and I look 91. And I got my third lap. I, I still got more things. This, so I, I started going the fourth lap. I got down to the fourth lap, and I wasn't done yet. And I said, God, I'm not done, but I'm worn out. So I got my car and went home. <laughs> and the idea is that you live your life recognizing what God is doing around you. Now just stop for a second, take a breath, and ask yourself, what is the hand of God doing in my life right now? What's he doing? 
Take a minute and recognize it and be grateful for it. Because you just kind of brush it off. Oh, a dead man's walking. Then you begin the subtle slope of what happened to Caiaphas. Let me show you another thing that brought about a fatal mistake in his faith, and that was following the wrong crowd. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that, but I, I want to make sure that I mention that. And I want you to think of this analogy. Can you imagine in America, if we got the House of Representatives together, how many am I? 435, I think. 435 representatives. We've got them all together. Then we brought the Senate in, 100 of them. So now we got 535. We bring the president and the vice president in. Now we got 537. Then we bring the Supreme Court in. And so we had all these people in it. Can you imagine those people amassed all together and they take a vote and they all agree? That's the craziest joke you've ever heard, isn't it? Okay, now watch this. Watch this. I want you to see it and you've got to open eyes to really peer into it. We look at verse 47 of chapter 11, and this was after they went and tattletailed, you know, the unbelievers went and tattletailed. And then it said, the chief priest, somebody say chief priest. Okay. And the Pharisees, somebody say Pharisees, called a meeting of the, somebody say Sanhedrin. You see what's happening here? And if you ever start watching and reading through the Easter story, um, the beginning of the week when he was in Jerusalem, just start paying attention to the Jewish authorities in the different branches, and they all just kind of all start convening together, and they all agree. They couldn't agree on anything, but they will agree to put Jesus to death. Man, I gotta be careful or I'm gonna spend about three hours talking about this, so I, I wanna stay to my notes because I'm, I'm, I'm so passionate on this that, that the hidden gem behind this is that Jesus' followers would be very wise to listen to this. That just because the majority crowd agrees on something, that doesn't mean it's right. See, we're, we're, living, we're living in a time that is so unique to many of us right now because there used to be a day when American culture was formed around conservative Christian values. And, and, and in that day, those values of following God and honoring God and loving people, those were the norm. Those were the majority. And I want you to hear this. Those days are gone. And depending upon your view of the truths that are unfolded in the book of Revelation, those days may never, ever return, ever. And so you and I are, are living in a world today where the Sanhedrin and the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the chiefs of the law and the, and the scribes and all of them are convening together to stand against the conservative, truthful viewpoints of an almighty God. And that's the world we're in. And I say to this to you, Christian friend, be very careful that you're not duped 
into following the wrong crowd on moral issues and values of life simply because there are more of them than there are more of us. They are louder than we are. They're on television, we aren't. Be very careful that your morality is not slipping because it's what's common out there. Somebody wrote this, and I don't think they could be any more correct, and I quote, I'd rather be lonely and right and surrounded in a crowd and wrong. Make sure that you don't follow the wrong crowd. Let me give you one more, and we're, we're going to head out of here, because it sounds like the rain has stopped, okay? Caiaphas made a critical mistake by valuing gods over God. And you'll see gods is the little g, and God is the big G. He made a critical mistake in following things that did not really matter. Now, now remember, we're talking about the most powerful man in the history of the world at that particular time from a Jewish perspective. And when the Pharisees and Sanhedrin and everybody gets together, led by Caiaphas, they hear what has happened with Lazarus, they immediately start to realize what they could lose out of this deal. Notice this verse where it writes this. They said, if we let him go on like this, like what? Raising dead people? I'm okay with that. But if we let him go on like this, watch this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. See, if the Romans see that the Jews are following a new king, they rule the Jewish people. Man, they are there. The Jewish people are done away with. Their temple is destroyed. And what's Caiaphas think about this? Here's what Caiaphas thinks. I'm going to lose my paycheck. I'm going to lose my position. And what Caiaphas couldn't wrap around in his head is that in order to follow the big G God, I've got to let the little G gods go. I've got to be willing to lose the little G's in order to follow the big G God. I've got to get myself to where I'm not going to follow money. I'm not going to follow fame. I'm not going to follow influence. I'm going to follow God. And here's the lesson for Christian people. That when you come to Christ, and there are some of you who are brand new in Jesus, there's some of you who are just now investigating Jesus. I want you to hear this, that when you come into Christ and you begin a life of growth in him, it requires you to give some things up. It requires that. And so if you just stopped and you asked yourself right then, have I ever given anything up? Any little G gods, have I ever laid anything to the side so that I could follow my father better? What have you ever given up? And if you don't have an answer to that, there is a danger for you to be on a slope and end up a bad boy of faith or a bad girl of faith. You gotta be okay with losing things in order to gain Jesus. I preached one Sunday a number of years ago and 
when the sermon was over with, I was, I was, uh, I was heading out and was greeting a bunch of people. And uh, then things kind of calmed down. Everybody's leaving and stuff. And so I came back into the auditorium. I'm picking up my Bible and stuff, getting ready to head back to my office, get ready. And I look in the back, and all the way in the back of the room, there is an individual sitting in the back row, and they're bent over. I can't see them other than they've got one of those great big hats on, like sun hats and things. And, and they're there, and I, I see some movement, and I kind of make my way back there. And it's a man. He's got this hat on. And his, his shoulders are bouncing up and down because he's, he's weeping uncontrollably. And I sat down next to him, and I kind of let him calm down a little bit. And he would never look up at me. He knew somebody was sitting there. He never would look up. And uh, he finally calmed down, and I kind of patted him on the shoulder a little bit. And I said, man, you okay? And... Uh, he just kept shaking his, his shoulders, and he just couldn't talk any, couldn't get anything out, nothing was coming. And, and I said, well, man, I'm Dave. And uh, he said, yeah, I know who you are. And he, I remember he, sh he put a hand out to shake my hand, but he wouldn't come up from under the hat, and he shook my hand. And uh, I said, man, is this your first time here? And uh, he said... Um, he said, yeah, this is the first time I'm here. I said, well, you know somebody? Did you come on your own? You know somebody? And he said, I'm, I'm here because I lost a bet. I said, what? By the way, that's a great way to get people to come to church with you, okay? <laughs> Don't bet money. Just You lose, you got to come to church with me, dude. And I said, you lost a bet? He goes, yeah. He took his hat down. He started telling me a story. He goes, I, I own a tavern around here. And he, he pointed out where the tavern was. He goes, you know where it's at? And I, I did. I didn't want to tell. Oh, yeah, I don't know where. I was, yeah, I know the tavern you're talking about. I've driven by it many times. See, I know. And he goes, that's my place, man. He's this guy comes in there all the time. And, I mean, he just gets plastered. And I got to call his wife to come and get him. And she comes. And she comes and she gets mad at me because I gave him too much alcohol. And he's, she's mad at her husband and we end up fighting and yelling and screaming. It was always happens. He was last week he came, he got drunk, called his wife. She came in, she's yelling, screaming at me. I'm yelling, screaming back. We got talking about different stuff. We're arguing about yelling, screaming, and we bet on something. And, and if I won the bet, then she could never yell at me again for her husband getting drunk. And if she won the bet, I'd go to church with her. And he said, well, she won the bet. And she comes to your church. And I came here tonight with her. <laughs> so there's more than one way to win people to Jesus. I'm just telling you, okay? And so he's talking about that. And I said, well, man, I'm glad you're here, even if those lose a bet. And I said, we crying about, man, was the service that bad? And he said, no. He goes, man, my mama raised me in Jesus my whole life. I mean, Jesus was like that all the way through high school. And then I, I kind of drifted, and I ran far, and I ran hard, man. I ran really hard. And tonight, it struck me how far I'd run. And I think it's time that I come home. And we talked about his walk with Jesus right there on that back row. 
I don't think I'll ever forget that day for all of my life. And he went on his way and I went on my way. And next day is Monday and I'm in my office and I got a call through the church line. I pick it up and it's him. I say, hey man, how you doing? He goes, hey dude, do you, you know anywhere I can get a job? I said, a job? I thought you owned your business. And he said, how can you follow Jesus if you help people get drunk? How can you do that, man? So I put a for sale sign on the place this morning, and one of my customers bought it. I need a job, bro. <laughs> and I remember being convicted with that, convicted to the point I don't know that I've always followed it, but I have never lost the conviction to today. May I never let anything be so big in my life that I wouldn't willingly lose it so that I can follow my father. And Caiaphas just didn't get any of that stuff. And he made fatal mistake after fatal mistake after fatal mistake. And I hope, man, I hope that me and you, me and you, that we can be smarter than that. God, I thank you for your word as I do every week. You're so wise and so good. And I just hope that there's something that came from your truths tonight that gets embedded into the heart of somebody in this room. And I know how easy it is to, to maybe watch a movie or read a book or go to a church service and, and just really get caught up in it. And then, and then a half hour later, man, it's just gone from the mind. And I am asking that your spirit does not let that happen. Because there's some of us on the road of Caiaphas tonight, and we heard it, and we were convicted by it, and will you not let us be comfortable until we deal with it? That might mean we don't sleep tonight. That might mean we're anxious all day tomorrow. That might mean we're unable to focus all of next week because your spirit says, I've got business to do with you. And so whoever needed that, I don't know, you do. May your spirit come alive so that we're all grounded, we're all grounded in our walk with a father that we love and a savior that we adore. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.